around the last uh, few weeks. Let me sort of catch you up on uh, where we are, what we're doing this Advent season. Uh, We don't always stop for uh, Advent sermons. We don't always uh, stop and preach uh, an Advent series in December. Um, We're not huge church calendar folks here at Grace Covenant. Um, But every couple of years, we do every other year we do. And this year... um, The theme basically is the story of Christmas, but we're asking the question, not just the story of the birth of Jesus in the manger in Bethlehem. We're asking the question, what does Christmas have to do with the story of the Bible? Uh, That in the grand scheme of things, Christmas um, has has something to do with everything that the Bible is about. Uh, So the story of the Bible, uh, the story of Christmas fitting into Uh, The whole rest of Scripture. So far, we've looked at uh, creation in Genesis chapter 1. That was two weeks ago. And last Sunday, uh, we looked at Genesis 3 and the fall of man. Uh, This morning, uh, we will read Romans chapter 5. I will ask that you stand as we read God's Word together. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we all have also obtained access by faith into the grace, into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Uh, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death, through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those among, uh, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive, who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life 
through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray together. Uh, We pray, Holy Spirit, that You would uh, teach us, that You would open our eyes and ears uh, to see and to hear uh, in Your Word of uh, the work of Christ in us and for us and in our place, uh, but more so that You would open our hearts uh, to believe it, to receive it, uh, and to be changed by it. We pray in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. You may be seated. How do you fix something that you've messed up? How do you fix something that you've broken or damaged? Now, I hope you're all immediately thinking of not an answer, but another question. Because the question, how do you fix something that you've messed up, is not nearly enough information to give an answer. Because the answer depends on what you've broken and how broken it now is. So if someone says, how do you fix something that you've messed up? How do you fix something you've broken? You have to say, well, what is it? It depends on what I've messed up. It depends on what it was and and how damaged it now is. Let me give you some illustrations, perhaps. The red squiggly line under a word on your computer. That's easy. You, you can right-click and choose the appropriate replacement. You've misspelled a word, it'll tell you. Now, if you want to be an overachiever, you can double-click and just retype the whole word yourself to prove to you and to this inanimate computer that you really did know how to spell it, that it just came out wrong the first time. The green squiggly line is a little more complicated because you then have to think, well, this is a grammar question and, and, and it's suggesting that my sentence doesn't make sense and I think it makes perfect sense. And so then you have to debate with this computer, does this sentence really make sense? It's a, it's a grammar question. That requires a little more thought, I guess, in order to, to fix the mistake. Back into your garage door, uh, mouse clicking isn't going to help. Um, put a, a hole in a board. You, you're, you're doing, you're building something. You've got this sort of little home woodworking project going on and you realize that you put a, dr- a, a hole, you've drilled a hole through a board in the wrong place so that the hole on this board doesn't line up with the hole on the board behind it that it's supposed to have a bolt going through both of them. Now you're in trouble. Now you just have to go to Lowe's and get a new board and start all over again. But, I mean, what home improvement project wouldn't... You know, it would be complete without numerous trips to Lowe's, right? If you're an artist and, and you don't like what you've done, you just paint over it. Just, you, can, you can literally just throw a bunch of white paint and, and literally start over. You can literally take the clay 
and re-wet it and, and, and just destroy it. Just crush it down into a mound and literally start completely over again. If it's a relationship you've damaged, that's not so easy. An extramarital affair, that requires a, a lot more work, a lot more care, a lot more time than fixing any of those other problems. Here's what I want you to understand. The, the solution to a problem, the solution to a mistake, the answer to fixing something that you have, have damaged depends on two things. It depends on knowing the, the, the original uh, condition of the thing that you've broken. Where did it come from? What is it? And, and what was the original condition? And then it also depends on understanding the nature of the mistake. If you're going to fix something you've broken, you have to know the original condition and the nature of the problem. If you get either one of those wrong, your solution is going to be wrong. I've backed into my garage door. The solution has to be the same solution as if I mistype a word in Microsoft Word. I just right-click and choose the correct garage door, and I walk outside and look, there it is. You have to understand the, the thing that's broken and the way you've broken it if you're going to fix this. We, we see this everywhere around us. Everyone in the world, everyone around us has answers to the questions of the problem of evil, the problem of, of how are we going to fix, I don't know, race relation problems. How are we going to fix the rioting going on in, in France? How are we going to fix the, the oppression of the church in China? How are we going to fix war and poverty and racial problems and all of those sorts of things? In order to understand it, in order to fix it, we have to understand the nature of the original and just how the, the problem came to exist. I'll, I'll tip my hand for a second. Here's kind of where we're going with this. If you get creation wrong, if you get the fall wrong, you will not get the solution correct. Is it any surprise at all that the people who have been raised on matter is eternal? Um, and quite honestly, man is just the highest form of animal. You see, really where we came from was there was this blob of dust out in the middle of space or nothing because space would be something and then that, that's even more confusing. This just floating there, and then somehow, in violation of all that science stands for, it exploded. Struck by lightning. So lightning must also be eternal. And as it exploded, you and I are just lucky primordial ooze that evolved into a flying fish, and eventually a monkey, and eventually us. We're just animals. That's all we really are. Those are the people in the world today in office 
Those are the people raised on that are the ones that are the, the thought leaders in the world today. And you're seeing the effects of it. Our sexual ethic in this world is rooted in that worldview. No, God didn't create everything. Matter is eternal. We're just animals. So be like animals. Of course, that raises the whole question of you can do anything you want to do as long as you don't hurt anybody else. It raises the whole question of, wait, well, that can't, why, why do I have to be vegan? Animals eat animals. That's how this works, right? So, but that's the world we live in. If our beginning is a purely natural one, then, and, and we're just animals, and, and the answer must always be a natural answer. You, you see this in the world all around you. Politicians run on an education platform. There's poverty today. Well, the problem really is they just need more education. If they had more education, then they wouldn't be poor anymore. We could eliminate poverty if we just give more people more education. We could. You know, he abuses women. His, his real problem is he just doesn't understand. Let's... Let's teach him some things. Let's make sure he has the right information. And with the right information, he won't keep making that mistake. There's always this, this idea that the problem is merely educational. And if he just had more information, man is basically good and, and, and just a product of the world we live in, and with the right information, they wouldn't do that. So it's purely a, an, an educational problem. If you get the beginning wrong, if you misunderstand the beginning and you misunderstand the, the nature of the problem, you will not get the solution right. It may not be educational. The other is medical. In, in the world in which you and I now live, uh, we don't talk about sin anymore. Uh, it's, either, it's either some sort of, we've minimized sin to the point of, it's just a medical condition here, take this pill. Or, we've overemphasized it to the point that, that, that every sin is either now just medically solved, or it's criminal and jailable. That's the world in which you and I live. Ask John Lennon. John, what do you what do you think about the condition of the world we live in? Of course, this is it's been a few years, right? Well, I mean, if we didn't have national borders, if we didn't have religion, and we didn't have possessions, then we wouldn't have any problems. You see, the problem isn't in you, the problem is out there. And if we got rid of the things that are out there that are causing the trouble, national borders, religion, possessions. Just imagine that world. It's, it's really not hard. It's easy if you try. That's, that's the solution. If our problem is merely natural, if we really are just matter that is eternal and there is no God and we're just the product of, of lucky mud and the problem is merely natural, then we will look for a natural solution. And, and rightly so. But we've seen something completely different in God's Word the last two weeks. Matter is not eternal. Because in the beginning, God said, let there be matter. God is eternal. 
the nature of our existence isn't matters eternal and you're just an animal. No, we were created to bear God's image, to be His vice regents on this earth and to carry out His rule and reign over every corner of the globe. The problem is, as we saw last week, we rebelled against our Creator. We shattered the peace of the Garden of Eden. We committed cosmic treason and we're guilty of moral corruption. Enter Christmas. You want to know the place that Christmas has in the story of Scripture? There it is. And we see it right here in Romans 5. Our passage is, says that Jesus has come to fix all that we broke. Jesus was born to solve the problem that Adam created. Look at verse 1. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember what happened when Adam and Eve took that forbidden fruit and they ate? They didn't like themselves. They didn't like each other. And they didn't like God. They, the peace that was in the garden between Adam and Eve, you put her here, God, and she made me do it. Between Adam and Eve and God, they went and hid when He came walking in the cool of the garden. And themselves, they actually made clothes. Suddenly they were ashamed and afraid and they had to cover themselves up. All that peace that they had known for however long they were in the garden prior to the fall. And I don't know. We don't know. Is now possible, we're told right here in verse 1 of chapter 5. We have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through Christ. It's because of who Christ is and what He's done that that peace that we shattered in the garden is now can be fully and completely restored. How did Jesus earn that peace? How did He fix that problem? Well, notice, first of all, He bled and died. Look at verse 6. While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Look at verse 8. God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9. Since therefore we have been justified by His blood. When we say that we have peace with God through Christ, what does that through Christ mean? It means that He died and shed His blood in our place. One of the things I wanted you to pick up from in Leviticus 16, I know that was a long chapter. You're welcome for being able to sit down when we read the entire chapter. But did you notice there was a lot of blood in that chapter? There were two animals dying. The priest had to sacrifice for his own sins before he could make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus dies in this chapter not for his sin, but for ours. He suffered and bled and died, and it's through his death that our peace with God is and can be restored. The whole aim of Leviticus 16, the whole aim of the sacrificial system was to point them 
to the promised Messiah, to the coming Savior who Himself would, as the Lamb of God, suffer and bleed and die and bear the pain and shame of our guilt and our sin once and for all, as the writer of Hebrews tells us. A a judge who has his courtroom here in town, kind of known for being by the book, not mean, um, not not hateful, but 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 literal. I mean, he's known for being kind of by the book, and he's not trying to be to cause trouble for people. He's he's just doing what the law says to do. A murderer walks into his courtroom uh, for a trial, and and on that day, he just simply decided he was going to ignore the the law and just let the man go and dismiss everything right out of hand. What would you think of a judge who did that? God doesn't pretend that we didn't sin. God doesn't take our sin and go, look, I, I understand. I know you've had a rough day. Your kids have been, oh, those meddling kids. Your parents are getting on your last nerve. They're being really demanding and, and expecting way too much out of you. Your boss, don't even get me started on you. Look, I understand. I, I, I get it. Life is difficult. We'll, we'll just pretend that this didn't happen. A judge in a courtroom ought to lose his bench for that. That's not upholding the law at all. So don't think that God looks at our sin and goes... I understand. It's really not a big It's a huge deal. In fact, it's such a big deal that He sent His Son to die, to bleed and die for that sin. He doesn't merely overlook it. He actually carries out His justice and His punishment for our sin by sacrificing His Son. Let me, let me show you three things real quick that we just pick up in the first few verses of this chapter. Look at verse 7 and 8. Don't get too caught up in the righteous person and the good person. The real aim of of verse 7 and with 8 right on the heels is to say people don't die for unworthy people. People aren't willing to give up their lives for unworthy people. People don't stand in the gap for people that that are, are wicked and hateful and mean and don't like them and are mean to them, people don't do that. Well, except for Jesus. What we see in this passage is we were completely unworthy of His death. It's not like it's not like we get to walk around and go, "Boy, God, it sure is lucky for you. I'm on your team. It's a good thing you got. Good thing you picked me." Because I bring some stuff to the table. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still enemies of God. While we were still hating God. While we were still at odds with Him, Christ died for us. So the first thing we pick up from this is we're not worthy. We didn't earn our salvation. 
We're not not guilty. We're absolutely guilty. We're ungodly, verse 6 tells us. We're the ones unworthy of such a sacrifice. And yet, Christ died for us. In fact, verse 10 calls us enemies of God. The second, these verses point to Christmas. Because the eternal Son of God came and took on flesh in order to die. You realize you can't nail the eternal... God is a spirit and doesn't have a body like men. You can't nail a spirit to the cross. You can't kill God. He had to come and take on flesh in order to die. We will die, but we don't we aren't born to die. We're born to live and we will die. He was born only so that he could die for the express purpose of of dying in our place. Man disobeyed, so man had to obey. Jesus came to earth to take on flesh to redeem us in the flesh, in our place. But notice verse 10. Notice who fixes the problem. God does. Man disobeyed, and so man must obey in man's place, but we were totally incapable of doing so. We wouldn't fix it ourselves. We couldn't fix it ourselves. The moral corruption was so bad, the peace so shattered that man was utterly incapable of fixing the problem. It took the very Son of God. Verse 10. We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. God saw the need. God fixed the problem that we caused. God sent His Son, His eternal Son, to take on flesh, to live in our place. God took the initiative in redeeming mankind. Yes, a man died for our sins, but Christ was no mere man. He's the God-man. God in the flesh. Emmanuel. That's why Emmanuel matters so much. And there's... Christmas right there. But I want you to notice that paying the penalty for our sin wasn't all the work that Christ did for us. Because we needed more than that. Uh, The death of Jesus actually isn't enough for our salvation. Now don't, don't call Presbytery. Give me a second. But I want you to notice verse 19. As by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience. We didn't need just for Jesus to take on flesh to die. We needed Jesus to take on flesh so that He could live in perfect, perpetual obedience to the Father. That's what we owed. That's what Adam and Eve owed God in the garden. That's what we owe to God. Perfect, perpetual obedience. We don't have that. We lack that. We we need someone with it to step in in our place. Christ was born 
so that He might offer to the Father perfect, perpetual obedience and obey the Father in every way and still to suffer and bleed and die in our place. It was Christ's obedience that makes right what man messed up. That's what Christmas is about. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. The birth of the God-man who could, in the flesh, live perfect, active obedience because we can't. Because we don't. Because Adam didn't. And yet to then turn around and pay the debt that we owe because of our disobedience. To, to satisfy divine justice. To satisfy the wrath of God in our place. So that we might be... Did you notice verse 10 and 11? Three times the Word shows up. If, uh, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. If our problem is merely natural, we will look for merely natural solutions. Our problem isn't merely natural. It's moral and relational. And it's not just us. It's us with our Creator. And Christ has come to reconcile, to bring reconciliation, to bring us back together again. To bring God and His people back into that perfect peace that was once in the garden and that we long for in the day when Christ returns fully and finally and completely. If we want to fix what man has broken, we need a man to live in perfect, perpetual obedience in our place. But then he must also suffer and bleed and die and atone for our sin. And that's exactly what we celebrate at Christmas. Anything else? Pretty lights on a tree. The gifts under the tree, whether they're for you or that you're giving to someone else. All good things. But those aren't Christmas. The birth of our Savior to fix what man broke that is the story of Christmas. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you saw us in our need, in our rebellion, and set out even before the foundation of the world to, to fix what we broke. Because we couldn't fix what we broke. We didn't want to fix what we broke. We would not have fixed what we broke had you not fixed what we broke. And we thank you for your son. And we pray that as we celebrate Christmas together, we will celebrate just this. That we have a Redeemer who has lived a righteous, perfect life in our place. Who faced your wrath and justice for sin as we deserve in our place. 
so that we might be reconciled to You, so that we might have peace with You. Father, if there are those in this room who don't know that peace, would You bring them to saving faith in Christ? Would You grow in us deeper gratitude and love for Christ this Christmas season? We pray in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen.